Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tell and this is a Creative Innovation Podcast. The weather this week is YouTube in space. Yeah, we've got current DNAD President and Executive Creative Director of Google Creative Lab, Steve Frenakis. Along with the wonderful Nate Agbatu, who's currently working at Creative at Nike, graduating from DNAD's shift programme, which we're going to revisit. Um, if you guys didn't hear the first episode did on shift, head back into the archives and check that out, because it's quite intriguing looking at new models for creative education and alternative ideas with DNAD. So... We're going to get deep into that in a minute, but first, a little thank you to the regular show sponsors, illustrationweb.com. Go and check them out, representing a lot of massively talented illustrators, lettering artists, large-scale mural workers, uh, fashion illustrators, gift makers, animators. It goes on and on. They've got a really broad range of creatives doing some fantastic work in the industry, and they really do care for the industry too. So go and check them out over at illustrationweb.com. Been here since day dot for the show. Awesome bunch of people. Heartinternet.co.uk. Digital and tech sponsor. These guys do fantastic work uh, for hosting, for domain names, for SEO advice, all the good stuff that you need to get your website ranked well in Google and the rest of it. Um, Great people, very forward thinking. They've been avid supporters of the show for a long time now and I hope that may continue into the future. Uh, great bunch of guys, go and have a look and they provide a digital tip every single episode. Um, do you know what, I'm going to go a little bit sideways with this one. Um, so when Steve Fernakis turned up at the DNAD offices for our chat for this episode, he was kind of knackered, uh, flustered, stressed out. Um, and luckily for me, he was still a wonderful interviewer, full of energy and full of enthusiasm, because that's the kind of guy that he is. But what I will say about Steve is um, he was saying, look, like you know, he, I think he was quite cautious about the way that people buy into this idea of success, this perception of success that we put out there on on our social channels, uh, you know, with the awards, with the titles. And Steve was very quick to say to us on that day that, oh God, it's all worthwhile, it's all amazing stuff. But what people don't get is the sheer amount of stress and the sleepless nights that goes into that stuff. So I'm just going to advise a little bit of caution because I see a lot of people these days feeling unnecessarily inferior um, and dejected and demoralised by this world we're exposed to now where everyone looks like they're killing it and everyone's succeeding. And I can tell you from first-hand experience, um, it's a lot of bullshit and... You know, we all we all put out there heavily edited, uh, curated profiles, and we all like to put up that nice little shot of a coffee that we're having, you know, whilst we're planning for something. But what we don't tend to see is is the stress about income, the uh, the time away from friends and family, all the stuff that kind of we don't show out there. So proceed with caution. I think at this time for people coming out of university and out of programs like Shift, it's very easy to feel dissuaded and disheartened about what you're doing. But the truth is we're all on a unique journey and I think uh, you've got to really draw on what you're doing and where you're at and make the most of that at any given point because it's never quite as idyllic as it seems. Sometimes people's situations aren't as bad as they seem either. So just beware the mirage. That's all I'm saying on this episode. And that is courtesy of the wonderful hat, internet.co.uk. Um truly wowed by the Association of Illustrators World Illustration Awards 2018. Absolutely awesome. It's probably finished now, but it tours around, so keep an eye out for where else you can catch it apart from London. Really, really impressive spread of work and great work from the AOI, so thanks to those guys for their ongoing support of Rest All Mimics. Uh, Quick thank you to Real Junk Food Manchester, of course. So thanks to everyone there. Thanks to all the supporters for the show. Cheers for listening, guys. Cheers for tuning in as ever. Welcome back, regulars. Hello to anybody new. Um, I hope you're having a great week. I hope you're you hope to exciting stuff. So the idea with the programme is that it's an alternate slant on the traditional educational model. Um, and also, just let me, let me clarify this preface by saying this isn't something that anyone's pushing as an alternate to higher education or competition. It's something, as, as Steve will hit upon in this episode, that can, you know, if this is done right, this can work hand in hand uh, and be mutually beneficial with the, with the higher education model. Um, I think it's high time for different approaches with, with the price of the fees. I think it's not for everyone. A university doesn't suit all, you know, all personality types. I also think with the fees these days that not everyone from all backgrounds can afford it, and I think it's important that we, we do not 
allow any form of elitism to creep into the creative industries. Um, but the new blood shift specific messaging goes like this. Talent doesn't need a university degree or A-levels. Talent pours our pints, serves our meals and delivers our post. Talent works through the night and dreams through the day. Talent says the unsayable and makes the unmakeable. Talent is relentless, unwavering and indifferent. DNAD New Blood Shift is looking to nurture the next generation of extraordinary creative thinkers through its life-changing and career-making night school. Um, so DNAD New Blood Shift applications are open until 1st of August 2018 at noon. And the reason um, that I'm revisiting Shift on this podcast is I got an email from DNAD. But the, the deal was that Nate discovered Shift's applications the night before deadline through this podcast. So learning this, you can imagine the kick that that gave me. Um, you know, the idea that I've linked someone up with what Nate will go on to tell us has been a sort of life-changing experience and switch in direction uh, and, and giving him the roots and the steps into this whole new career direction. So this was very exciting to me uh, and being offered the opportunity to talk to Nate and Steve and talk about their respective work at very different standpoints, very different positions in their career. So, you know, Steve with... Um, 30 odd awards as executive creative director of Google Creative Labs, who do some incredible work, um, you know, with the Google Space Lab, for example, um, where, sorry, the YouTube Space Lab, where a platform that allowed children to submit science experiments online, which would then be tested by NASA astronauts on the International Space Station. Um, Jam with Chrome, a web-based platform that lets you create music live with your friends from anywhere. The Crisis Info Hub for Refugees, an open-source smartphone project which provides Syrian refugees with info about their, their journeys, including maps, translation facilities, and info about nearby medical centres and lodgings. Wow! I mean, this is, this is mind-bending stuff. Extremely forward-thinking work. And here you have Nate, who's a creative at Nike, having previously worked at AKQA with Wyden and Kennedy following his stint at the DNAD Shift programme. So really interesting dynamic. And then you've got me thrown in the middle to attempt to curate these two fantastic minds. So I couldn't resist the opportunity to come back and do this. So we're going to talk about how uh, the education model could work in conjunction with a, with a platform like Shift, why higher education doesn't necessarily work for everyone, and how... The, the mechanics of shift are more about the lateral approach to working with raw talent and raw skills. Um, we're going to get into Steve's background. Um, growing up as an immigrant in Canada as a young lad, uh, he's going to talk about the difference between childhood behaviour then and the likes of his own children now and how that can influence creativity. Nate's going to talk about grassroots creativity and his work since coming out of the shift programme, but he's also going to talk about his work before shift. Um, at the age of 16, for example, he started his own events enterprise to raise money for a charity project in Uganda, attempting to raise £2,000. He's turned his hand to everything from working with clothing brand Lightwork London to Brompton Bicycles. His interest in people and the relationship with interfaces, objects and others is his biggest influence beyond, behind his experimental design process. And his passion for campaigning is focused on empathy and interaction design. So you got me thrown into the middle of this stuff, trying to make sense of it all. But let me tell you, it's a very inspiring conversation with two fantastic people um so i want to hear your thoughts about it as ever at arrest all limits on the twitter on instagram also on facebook um and get involved if shift sounds like something that that you want to get on i think nate's story will probably serve as the best inspiration that you can take so i'm not going to bang the drum about that um like I say, after last year's show, I got a little bit of backlash actually from you know from some people in, in industry and in the traditional education model. I maybe went a little bit too far in some of the things I said about you know I felt I felt that some of the uh, aspects of the current education model were a little little tired and maybe I took that a little bit too far. So I apologise if I did, but I'm I'm interested in creating. As someone who's come from a working class background, uh, it saddens me to think now the price of going to university and how our education is about finding your feet, it's about space to play, it's about not having to put tangible outcomes and financial, you know, guarantees because that is that's the knife in the back of creativity because we can't guarantee that. But the beautiful thing is that we grow as people and we we use our education, whatever form it takes, as a space to, to explore our personalities and 
who we are and where we're from. But just the idea of racking up monstrous debt, I wonder if I was going to university now, if I would even do that. And for me, university was an incredible formative experience, and that makes me sad that it might be denied for some people. So I think it's important that we look at things that could go hand in hand with that experience and offer an alternative for people from different backgrounds. So we're going to get into all that stuff too. So again, quick thank you to Sponsors Illustration, web.com, uh, heartinternet.co.uk, Real Junk Food Manchester, and the Association of Illustrators. And of course, a massive thank you for DNAD to making this project possible, this uh, this conversation. And I hope you guys enjoy. Cheers. Well, let's. I thought it'd be a good place. You know, a good place to start is always backgrounds. What's we'll start. Nate, we'll start with you. Where are you from? Um, and what's your, I mean, what's your, what, are you, what are your creative roots? Are you a creative kid? So that's a good place to start. I guess I was a bit of a creative kid. I was always just chilling with like my action man and my Spider Man having little battles until I was like thirteen. Bit sad. No, 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 I'm there, I'm there. I'm still doing that. Yeah. <laughs> with my kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean I was a bit creative. Um I found it quite strict though, so I had like an academic background mainly. Like I was good at maths and science, so going through the schooling system was pretty easy for me and I was like pretty much geared to be a suit until I was like sixteen, seventeen. So I went to college, and I remember I was reading Dorian Gray, so I got really hedonistic, and I wanted to go to Uganda to do this charity project, and, like, everyone was, like, everyone in the school was stoked, went to, like, the swap in Camden, there's, like, 2,000 people in this assembly hall, and we were like, yeah, we're going to go to Uganda, we're going to actually do something in the world, and then they said it was going to cost, like, two grand, mm. and I'd never seen so many people move at mass, apart from, like, maybe the student protest at <laughs> 14, like, and everyone just left, so I was like, I'm going to make this happen, I'm going to like make sure I get that two grand, and I'm going to do something that can push it, and I was like, feeling hedonistic, I'm going to party college, so I started Untitled, which was like a little club night between me, three other friends, um, it was just to raise the money, and um, yeah, it went really, really well, it got me into like branding and design and kind mm. of making of like common strategy as a whole, I think, and um, from there I just started doing stuff, I had a clothing brand with my friends. Um, I could start a couple of nights at Afrodisco, I still do, um, and yeah, um, that was me. That's quite, um, that's quite a fearless approach for somebody so young to to have an idea of a project like that, something you wanted to do and actually go for that, especially when you think about the, the peer pressure at school and, and that maybe this isn't the norm. Is that something you feel that was a part of you? Have you always had that kind of get up and go? Yeah, I think so. I feel like... I've been I've had it less now that I've realised how big the world is because I think I like to think on a really local level and about people who are around me and the circles that I'm in but I always had this idea that like if I was going to make something then it was going to happen like I was obsessed with the Matrix when I was a kid so I was like completely believing that like I might be the only one who's real and that like if I put the remedy into it and I put my effort into yeah. it it will always come to reality and so I kind of just thought that if I was fearless and really like behind what I wanted to do yeah. then it would come to reality and that was just my push like I've got, I've got a lot of time for people who um, who don't believe you, know, you mentioned the action figures there and sci-fi stuff I've got a lot of time for people who don't keep that in its box that actually take you know, good inf- good inspiration from that and actually carry that into a creative practice. Yeah, you've got to go up and beyond. You've got to push yourself <laughs> further and just, like, fix even natural because like, <laughs> no one's going to save you but you, really, right? right. Absolutely. That's a really great line. <laughs> I might save that one. Yeah. <laughs> and how about you, Steve? What's your... Uh... Yeah. I-, I just wanted to make a comment, though, on the, um, on the Action Man thing. And it's the classic... Um, what we used to do as kids versus what my kids do. And, uh, and my kids were playing with some of their action figures um, and some Hot Wheels or something. And I was like, oh, that's cool, that's cool. I remember when I was a kid, I said, uh, I said your grandmother used to have these giant like al- aluminium tins of hairspray, like something you'd see out of The Simpsons. And she used to spray her, her hair like with this hairspray. I think it's illegal now. It was all aerosol. And we used to nick your grandma's stuff and we used to spray the cars and light them on fire and roll them off of, um, roll them off of car benches and stuff like that. God, I shouldn't be saying this on this. Uh, but, but my kids were like, what? You, you were like lighting little toy cars on fire doing like these blow-up crash scenes and all that sort of stuff out of the movies and chase scenes and all that. Um, and it's so incredible how, you know, like these raw imaginations of kids left to their own devices. You know, we went to schools where, which were very chaotic. I went to a school that I think 
um, speaking English was the minority. Um, I grew up in Canada, so it's, it's, I grew up in Vancouver. But when I was growing up in Vancouver, everybody was an immigrant family. Mm. It was the norm. So it was interesting. There wasn't any, hey, like, the rest of the people have to keep up with these kids because they don't. Nobody. I mean, it was incredible. Like, I remember all my friends and going to their houses and we'd eat all these, you know, interesting types of foods because nobody was Canadian. What's a Canadian, mm. right? Um, a native Indian would be, you know, an uh, indigenous person would be a Canadian, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it was really interesting. Um, and, and, um, and my whole thing was not dissimilar to yours, but, like, I had this thing that hadn't been labeled yet as creative. I had this thing in me that made me think about things in a certain way and, uh, like, dress in a certain way and listen to certain music, that most of which was coming out of this country. Um, but... You know, my parents had no idea what that was. They just thought I was weird. Um, I was left-handed. Being left-handed in a Greek family is not a good thing. Same in my dream. Um, yeah, it's a really, it's like you're socially deviant. It's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so they were, they, I remember in the early days, they were trying to get me to eat and write with my right hand, and I just couldn't do it. Um, so there's, you know, this lack of understanding of... Uh, that notion of being able to come up with these ideas and these thoughts and express yourself in a certain way, however we want to articulate what creativity is, mm-hmm. and then um, how that could go on to uh, lead to a fruitful career mm-hmm. where you could make a bit of money, but you could fundamentally um, have an incredibly fulfilled life. Because I think mm-hmm. that's what I get out of this thing. Mm-hmm. I, I rarely speak to people who got into this business to make money, they got into it because it's a personal expression of themselves um, that they just so happen to actually make something off of. Yeah. Um, I feel like I can really resonate with that, especially like when you come from such a diverse background and you've grown up with such diverse people in school. Kind of the thing where like some of the insights and the things that built me to be the person I am is very much because of those different influences and it's so different from what your parents are used to. Yeah. And like... I guess in terms of kind of not just being creative but being successful, which seems to be like the main goal in like I guess in from my background and having like a black family, is just that you have to aspire to go to school, to get a degree, push yourself through college and to get this very go on this path that was really set out for you mm-hmm. by the teachers and everything. And you don't necessarily get the chance to stretch your arms creatively to find yourself. Yeah. And that's why it's so fulfilling kind of like taking the leap and kind of thinking, yeah, I'm good at what I do and getting yeah. involved with people. And, and for me, again, the, the interesting thing was, and I have the quintessential immigrant upbringing, which is like you have people who have struggled, they've gone to a new land for better opportunity, which means that they don't want you to go through what they went through, which means that they want you to sort of find a career in something that will get you um, financially better off. Mm. So like every, and I say the story and whenever I do the talk about, yeah, and so my parents wanted me to be an accountant. Can you see me being an accountant? <laughs> and all these sorts of things or a doctor or a, a lawyer, all very, very uh, respectable careers, but like things I would not be able to do and wouldn't do justice to, um, you know, then you end up either pursuing that and hating your life mm. or not pursuing it and having to convince them that you can do something um, as I said, as fulfilling mm. as these things, but that will give you a level of happiness. Mm. I think it's, yeah, I know it's the, that's the crux of, you know, things you hit upon there, age-old themes, as in parental and superior resistance, because it's something that's n- not understood, different and, and intangible. Maybe that's the worst thing, yeah. when you can't put, you know, uh, uh, you can't envision it. You can't put a path there, and you can't say, "This is what I'm going to get from this." Yeah. The very nature of creativity, as we, as we, uh, you know, I assume we all know, is, is just that it is. You have to respond to it, and you only often know when you get there. And that's so hard for anyone to grasp who hasn't felt that themselves in the myriad forms. Yeah. I thought like there are times that you can feel it without actually finally reaching the creative industry. Though, like when I was doing like the events and just trying to put myself into things that I felt really passionate about. There's this chance to actually like get satisfaction from doing what you really like. I mean, you can't live your life to satisfy your parents all the time. As long as you can be successful in some way, and as long as you push yourself to like reach your potential, I feel like there's a real big chance for you to mm-hmm. really gain something and move a bit further. It's just about finding the roots that actually 
help you grow to be the person that you want to be. Yeah. You can be quite lost in in coming up with things and thinking that it has no purpose. But yeah. as long as you find the people that can resonate with that idea, in, at, in time, you'll be able to kind of teach your parents. And yeah. And this is why space is so, you know, the, the space to play and to put that in the world without prejudice is important because that's when others see it and will throw an idea down or push you in a certain direction. Mm. I remember I had, there's a story that I tell and I had a teacher who I drew quite offensively and it was a friend took it off my post through his classroom window. Oh, really? um, he found the drawing and he left me hanging for two weeks. I was a nervous wreck thinking I'm getting suspended, all the things. Called me into his classroom eventually and I mean, what, looking back now it's clear that he knew what he was doing and he said, um, I love the drawing, my wife loves it, it's on the fridge at home, she found it hilarious. However, just, you know, maybe you should channel that a little different. Um, mm. If you design me a poster for a talk on dyslexia that we've got coming up, we'll call it quits. And I couldn't grow. Could not understand that at the time. But it was so formative. It was the first person outside of my family to kind of just nudge me a little bit That's different. Brilliant. And um, I, yeah, I tell that story a lot because I think it's there's a lot of lessons in there and just that little mm. bit of adult guidance can be lacking. But um, I think, but that, I think, um, I mean... It's, it's interesting, the, um, the channeling, because I think that's where... I have these theories on why, why there's crime, why there's... I, th- I think there's all these people... There's obviously the socioeconomic um, conditions and environment that cause people to do bad things. I think there's a lot of people who are frustrated. I think there's a lot of pent-up frustration, uh, lack of fulfillment... Uh, people who are you know have low self-esteem, all these sorts of things... And you still see a lot of that in the creative industries. They just have a way of channeling it. And I think when you can channel it, because I say to people, like, I I may sound very confident right now on this podcast, (laughs) like, I leave every day, like everybody else who I know, and I go, I have no idea what I'm doing. Somebody is eventually going to get wise to me. Uh, And even after all the awards and all that sort of stuff, I I have to take a deep breath before I go into a review because I'm in a room with 20 people and they're all looking to me for the answer. Those are the scariest things in the world. And like, like, honestly, I want to break down talking about these things. It's so difficult. And that's why when I meet these creative people who come in and they're very confident and they... I'm always suspicious of them because I think it's such a personal, emotional experience to put your thinking out and have people comment on it. And by the same token, to have other people share their ideas with you and to be able to get them to a place, a better place, without criticizing them, without demotivating and demoralizing them. Those are, that, that, that's psychology mm-hmm. more than creativity. Mm-hmm. That's very difficult. Yeah, very. It's very and, this, and the line is very thin between the two. I find the more... I've done this 10 years now and I feel like I'm only just... But I don't think I'll ever find my feet, and I kind of don't want to, in a sense. Exactly what you said there, Steve. It's, I was actually writing this morning about washing up last night and having a personal crisis, just standing there thinking, I've done some work today that I'm proud of. Is it design? Is it illustration? Will the illustration put off someone who might commission me for design? And having this temporary meltdown and then just thinking, does it matter? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then, but that's something I find we go through all of the time, and that's why yeah. it's such a confusing... It was really hard for me, especially coming into the creative industry, feeling like that as well, because it was kind of a sense of, I came into, we had our exhibition, and off the bat of that, I went to Wyden Kennedy, and suddenly I was like, in the room with some of the best minds in the industry, in a completely <laughs> different space from where I'd gone, like, coming up with ideas with my friends in the kitchen, to literally being in this, like, office space, and it's kind mm-hmm. of a thing of, like, I can put my ideas into the world, but when these guys criticise me, am I going to, like, go and cry? Or do I feel like they're too different for me in terms of their life journey, in terms of, like, they might not get it? And it's really difficult to really get over that bit at the beginning. I feel it's like you have to build that creative resilience, though. You have to mm-hmm. kind of be open to ideas being scrutinised. Maybe not put them in the box of, like, what your vision is, but understand the potential of what the idea can go. It's... It's yeah. difficult. I don't think I've even learned how to do it. I don't think I ever will. And just another thing without any definitive, definitive solutions. Again, mm. just a personal thing that you have to be remain fluid, but mm. you can't teach any of it. That's the thing. You know, so you get to that person who's feeling broken up by, you know, their crit today. It's, there's no way you can truly get it across to them. You can just put these other experiences down in front and hope that one of them resonates. But I, but I think mm. you need to teach the people how to do the crit. Yes. And, and what's interesting is I spent um, 
about 20 years in advertising design. Again, competitive environments, very um, intense. Uh, you know, you're only as good as your last piece of work, all that sort of thing. And then I get to my current place. And uh, again, we were pursuing the awards and the fame and the, the numbers and all that sort of thing. And, and we were doing well, but you could see the toll that it was taking on people, myself and the people around me. Uh, and then I was asked to embark on some leadership training, uh, which I equated to like, uh, you know, like these sort of self-help things and, you know, those conferences and all that sort of stuff. I won't name anybody. And I was like, they're, they're like come on, you're like, you kidding me? Um, and then I started going on these things. And to this day, I wish I had gone to these things at the beginning of my career, not at 20 years into it. Like the leadership thing and the way they talk to you and teach you how to conduct yourself, create the conditions and the environment for people to succeed around you, the role of a creative director not being the all-knowing sage, being the person who is actually there to ensure the success of the people around them. I mean, it's incredible how different it was from the world I grew up in. And I have to admit, it was the best thing I ever did. But I, I you know, recently I've seen some of these um, schools do creative leadership, and you can get MBAs and these sorts of things now. I, I don't know about those things specifically, but the the crafting uh, um, skills that we learn are are obviously necessary. I think the leadership skills are something that the industry needs to heavily invest in, um, especially for people who, you know start out, do really well, win loads of awards, and find themselves running a department of 50 people with no real idea of how to do that in the best mm. and most uh, optimal way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I, I mean, we mentioned earlier, Nick, about those kind of accidental mentors along the way. Yeah. Each of those people, if I was to sit here and name them all now, I mean, my own circumstances have all been great, great with people skills. So they were one of the things I attribute to a great teacher, in my personal opinion, is someone who knows how to work with a personality and to respond to that person's drivers, motivators, flaws, and, and positives, and actually sit and go, "You're not weird. That's something interesting, and we can work with that." Mm. So to, to put that on its head, was this something that you found prevalent in the shift program? Did uh, yeah. what? I completely. I feel like the shift. It was. It was crazy because. We'd gone from all being creative in our own class, one of the things that we did to, I mean, for me personally, I thought that my creativity was just me, just the side hustle. I didn't think anything of the hustle. And to come into a space where they tell you that it's worth something and that you have a lot of passion and a lot of, like, juice left in you to actually do something, it meant a lot. And to come in in the first class, I remember the first thing we did, the first workshop we did was with Ada Paris, we did this personal branding class that was about understanding yourself first and who you are so you can always bring your truest self to understanding everyone around you and then having mentors that were paired with exactly what you wanted to do like I was really into like experiential and then being able to understand your vision and what you actually wanted to take away from stuff was just amazing as well as the people who came in like I remember thinking like this is about diversifying the industry and kind of like maybe being the first through the door but she's shown me that I wasn't that person, I didn't have to be that person, and that even if I was, I could bring more to it. Like meeting Mercedes Benson, who's done basically the exact same things I've been trying to do, and she's a lot further ahead. It's really inspiring, and having conversations with these people show you how to build yourself up, and also to just be a bit more open with things, to always be open to understanding other people and what they go through, understanding the way that they think, and working with them quite strongly. Like, I found it a crazy process to kind of open myself up to other people within it and then to also help guide the teams with me through ideas that we always come up with. It's, it's, it's a crazy process. Mm. And, like, I owe the world to, to be fair. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess, like, in terms of people and working with people, that's the biggest thing I find out about the creative industry before because you're just working with friends if you're just making just crazy stuff but it is really about learning what people can bring or what they don't bring and where their strengths lie mm. and how to work together is definitely like the strongest thing that I've yeah. learned from Shift and Steve you, you, when you mentioned about the you know the playing as kids and the, the mischief and nonsense that we I guess we all have our stories and the things that, or at least I don't know 
maybe not everyone did, but the, the silly stuff, the you know, the car story and yeah. that kind of thing. How much of that of that kind of aesthetic do you try and bring to your work the work with your team at Google? Do you do you place a great importance on that? No. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not that that specific, of course, as it is flammable one, but um, <laughs> but um, I it is weird. I um, it's it's really interesting. The, um, the, the it's the whole thing around this notion of diversity, right? So I bring this Greek Canadian kid growing up in the east side of Vancouver, British Columbia, to my group at Google, uh, Peter, who sits next to me. I think he grew up near Windsor. Couldn't be more different than me. Um, uh, Andy, who sits across from me, uh, northerner, uh, grew up in an estate. It's not even a class thing. The the point is, and his dad was a footballer. I think Peter's were business people. My dad was a laborer. I think the minute you bring these people together, and then the people, the rest of them, there's more than three people, um, all of a sudden, I think really interesting thing happens when the perspectives and the collisions that they create, the points of view, the cultural reference points. I talk a lot about Greece. I talk a lot about you know the world I grew up in, uh, religion. I talk about um, uh, what it was like, as I said, when my, my parents were working and to be able to get on your little bike and ride all day and come back at night and eat dinner. Like I would never let my kids do that sort of stuff. So it's I think all those really personal things that help make you what you are, I think this was an ad campaign somebody once did, I'm the sum of all these experiences or something, is, is absolutely true. And that's why this, you know, the, the, this homogenized industry that we still very much occupy or you know, we're part of has to change because it is nowhere near representative of what is really happening and how interesting and intricate that world is. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really keen on everybody, you know, it's funny, like it's a given you have to have a good book and all these sorts of things, but I'm, I'm looking so much more at the casting and how, I think, you know, we had a chat that how the, like I'm already thinking about who is going to work with who and what they're going to work on and how they're going to respond to each other and riff on each other's ideas. That is what really makes for like creativity. Mm-hmm. That whole, you know, the, 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 the all-stars, you know, I don't want the superstars. I want the all I want to create an all-star environment of people who come in and do incredible things with each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I think the industry is going so in the right direction right now in the sense that like there's a massive like push for co-creation and working with like younger creatives and people who are just kind of trying to break out in the industry as well and it's kind of like I find it really inspiring to see people being put on like the DIY kind of culture that's building up of like you can do your own thing is really growing like it's now like being creative like being like a rock star or being like an athlete it's really got its own weighting there's like kids like my friend Elliot Huntley who don't even have a website but they do photography for people like Nike and they just get the bookings through their DMs, like, or the direct messages on Instagram. And, like, everyone's really inspired to make work. Mm. And it's, like, the creativity is out there. It's about how do you bring them together to make stuff now. It's really, like, a crazy time. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, you have all these different publishers doing things as well, like we talked earlier about, like, Galdem and Guap. Like, all of these people who are really trying to create a platform Mm. to really break out into the industry a bit more. And so it's, it's kind of this is the chance to influence the way that we see work because it's not just that the environments are homogenous. I think that in some senses some of the work can be um, very one-sided and not fully thought through like the Puma campaigns for example which just go a bit overboard and aren't really thought of by that diverse complex different amount of minds mm-hmm. which is really changing the industry a little bit. And I feel yeah. like Shift definitely does that. Definitely does that. Um, working with Sophia now, you know, she, she's really like, like on it with her body positivity narrative, talking about being just equal and bringing everyone to the table, and it's really strong to bring spaces like that into places like Nike. Like Shift has opened so many doors for us to even be able to do that as well, and it's now kind of a case of we can push our agendas and our thoughts and that whole diversity of your mind and the way you think into the workplace it's, mm. it's, it's amazing really and truly amazing and I found it so interesting especially like with the um, campaign we did to win the placement through uh, 
um, DNA team, we had to come up with a way to tackle homophobia through football. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a thing of, well, we're not going to put like an ad on, on Instagram. We've got to think kind of differently because people just scroll through it. They rip yeah. through the timeline. It's like, it would just be another piece of content that you're tired of. You have to think about something that's more emotive. And kids today are all on on their playstations they don't even leave the house these days like they're burning <laughs> the toy cars outside they're yeah. like burning them on their like playstations yeah. with a jewel shop pad and stuff so we thought like putting a footballer in there would change things and in, in a sense I feel like the campaign kind of has legs and it's only with that difference of thought like I hate football like I'm not really into football at all like whenever um, I'm sitting at the the Nike football team that I kick you out I was like yeah yeah cool I'm the same as you but then I, I find you I have a close friend who's grew up as a skater exactly the same cannot just laughs when I start to talk about football but he does a lot of football work and he brings a great sensibility to that from that neutral standpoint and mm-hmm. again that just goes back to what we were saying about putting all them people around that table and yeah, it's so important yeah um Steve, I saw a talk you did when I was researching this podcast, uh, and you and you, you hit on um, the importance of making and just getting started. And, yeah, and, and ideas and making through making. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with that. I just, I just think I think um, it's so important to my my own process, to things that I admire, to mm. to start somewhere and, and just begin and, and try to break that. Not just a blank page thing, but thinking what maybe you should produce yeah I, I, I think you need so I, I can I mean I could talk to you a bit about how we do it yeah but I think um, it's funny again I, I used to work in places where you'd get a brief uh, it was quite definitive and quite prescriptive um, and then you had a finite amount of time to work on it and I would always think oh my god this is not nearly enough time and all that sort of thing and the way we're, the way it works now is there is a, there's an, an overarching objective that we need to meet. How we get there could be done many different ways, mm-hmm. right? Which, back to your point of your, your advert that you did. Um, but I want, I hire, um, so we don't have uh, brand planners or strategists in my team. I hire creative people who are very strategic, and I hire strategic people who are very creative, right? Some of them are better at articulating and coming up with narratives. Some of them are better at visualizing. Um, And we have this thinker-maker mentality. And we spend the majority of the time really getting to a really strong thought. You know, none of this big idea stuff. A thought, a really strong thought that will deliver against these things that we need to deliver against. Um, And then we make. We rapidly prototype. We do posters that may never see the light of day, but they articulate what we're trying to communicate. We do films, we do um, apps, we do everything, and we do them over the course of a week, maybe two weeks. But you have something immediately. The bulk of it might be wrong, actually, but that's not even a, it's not even an issue. You've, you've, you've gone out there and you've put some stuff out there, and even if it's a like a deductive process where you're learning what something is by removing what it isn't, you're still getting somewhere. And I think that whole thing about the um, ominous blank page and spending weeks trying to come up with the perfect thought, we live in a sort of a beta society. And that's what I learned working with a bunch of engineers. Like life is beta. Like everything is a work in progress and everything is iterative, right? And as you iterate through life, you get better, you get wiser. Um, Sometimes things are like you put out a you put out a version of something in yourself which isn't the best version, and then you reboot it and you start over again. Like I don't know where I'm going with all these software analogies, but it's kind of expected <laughs> based on where I work. But that, if you apply that whole philosophy, then you're not trying to come out with this definitive finished article, um, which is meant to be the all-knowing, all-saying everything. Um, and what what tends to happen is when you go out with stuff that is a bit unpolished um, and again um, um, you know there's a thought in there um, people are much more forgiving because you're actually saying to people we've done something that we think you might find interesting and by no means are we telling you this is the thing that you should find interesting um, and we want to take you with us Mm -hmm. I think that's the way creativity is going 
I think um, it, it has to, yeah, in a sense. I think that maybe yeah. our story echoes what Steve just said to me in a big way. Just looking at both of these yeah. accounts from a neutral standpoint, the facts, the things you did at school, the, the, the entrepreneurship, the fact you said you wanted to be a suit until a certain age, mm. and yet here we are, you're working for Nike, you've come through the shift program. You said you found Shift Program through this podcast, which blew my mind. I thought, okay, that's wonderful. Um, imagine trying to, to, to relay that, teach that story. It doesn't work. You can't go. You can't. You can't turn that backwards mm-hmm. and then go. Oh, that's how. That's how you do it. It, it just wouldn't work. And therefore, mm-hmm. it goes right back to the individual circumstances that we discussed about the fact that we each have this unique path, and it's the intangibles that make it possible. Yeah. I feel like you just have to make what you feel is right at the time. Yeah. So I find it best to really kind of make a way from everyone to begin with so you have something to show mm-hmm. and then to put it out and see what the reaction is to it. You can only, like, so we're saying iteration, like you can only come up with things, mm-hmm. see how they go and then make something better next time. So you never live in fear of doing that because that's where kind of you have to develop the creative bravery that gets you anywhere. Yeah. Like, if I hadn't tried to be creative and daring with, like, trying to make those events or when we tried to make a clothing brand or anything mm. I would never have had the portfolio that even got me in here in the first place yeah. and I feel like especially when you live in doubt with the circles around you not liking things or without having people backing you 100% it's really hard to make what you really really want to and you have to live away from that for a second and actually like create what mm. comes to you first I think yeah. that's how you come up with the best work and yeah I guess when you do it on your own before you even hit these kind of big dogs, like it happens so much faster as well because you are a smaller party and because you are just thinking on your own independently. Yeah, and again, just back to the whole maker sensibility of starting somewhere and not being afraid to to let that take on a few incarnations. And, mm. and, and, and I mean, failure is a strong word because it's not fail, it's, it's the end of one thing and then the roots of something else coming out. Yeah, you know, and I agree, and I think you, you, you can't go to a conference without hearing this whole thing about embrace failure and it's good to fail and all that sort of thing. Like failure to me, I think it's a harsh a harsh word, but I think the way people use it where they make it this binary thing whereby you've done this thing and it is a failure and it is like you have to start over. It's never like that to me. Like people do something and when you unpick it and when you look in the right places and when you turn it upside down, there's always something in there. And it might not be right in its current guise, but it's not like, oh my God, you spend a week doing that, like like a Simpsons <laughs> episode or something like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a weird one because you hear all these big companies going fail and allow people to fail and they learn. And I mean, I think again, it's up to the leadership team to see the thing, to make sure through the process that somebody isn't going way off course and to ensure that the thing that was made, it's not just a learning thing about how to do this or that, but there has got to be something in there, because you hired the person, right? Mm-hmm. That is, is something that you can make something of, right? So it's a weird one, the, the failure thing for me, because it does sound like a, um, yeah. it sounds a bit like martyr-like. Allow them to fail, they'll learn and they'll, yeah, shake it off. Yeah, shake it off. And it, it, I find it sometimes patronizing a bit. You yeah. know? It's more about going somewhere that maybe you never, you never expected to go and learn yeah. something. R- risk is different. Yeah. Risk and encouraging risk is, is very different because I think there's a direct correlation between risk and innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah. Big question Do you think there's enough risk in today's creative industry? I think there's a lot of people, a lot of the. Um, uh, previous generation who would say no um, in some of the talks I think at the festival there were a lot of people saying people don't take risks anymore I think people do take risks I think they do it differently mm-hmm. I think you see people you know um, uh, you know, getting a brief to do an advert but making a product and then the product is the thing that they do the messaging around which is the thing that gets you to feel better about the brand that's, that's a big risk. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's the, the product itself might not be a wacky, risky thing, but that structure and that way of thinking is, I think, risky. So I don't know. It's weird. Um, you know, there was a time when you'd have to do a controversial film or something <laughs> that meant risky in advertising. I do think that there are a lot of risk takers. Um, and I think, I think um, brands as well are doing a lot of really interesting things um, and taking risks where they never would have done uh, so in the past. 
you know, they're acknowledging their shortcomings, they're acknowledging mistakes they made and the impact or the negative impact they've made on the environment, what they're going to do about it. Um, you know, most recently there was a coffee shop, you know, who had a, a, an issue uh, with one of their shops and, and that they had to deal with and, and they acknowledged that they mm -hmm. had to, they yeah. had to, they had to sort that and they had to educate people. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, that would never happen. That would yeah. never happen. Yeah. I feel like there's this big push for brands to have civic duty now, though, as well. And that's what's making it... And a moral compass, yeah. I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Probably. And like, to care about individuals as well, which comes up to the leadership, actually, to make difference and to put themselves into the shoes of whoever the consumer is or whoever comes at the bottom end of their production line of, like, coffee shops and the grounds. It's kind of like they have to create something that actually makes sense because everyone's so conversational now. Yeah. And I think that's why brands... I think that's why the older generation would say that we don't take risks because you expect more uproar from social media. But I think brands really do work to be conversational with things these days, mm -hmm. especially now that everything's moving kind of towards the PR and making products that people use because you will hear back from how people make it, from what people think about it. Mm -hmm. So there are risks out there because it's a lot easier to fail into this yeah. creative industry, I think. And there's almost this mirroring going on now where we've seen so much smash mouth controversy that actually we're overexposed to everything. So actually the risks come across in a much yeah. more subtle way. Yeah, I have, um, I mean, I, I, I suffer from the same problem that most of us do who are trying to run, you know, even great, well sought after organizations. You know, you have this new generation of talent um, who are living by their own rules um, who understand that all these um, historic conventions that they were meant to follow about, you know, going and buying, uh, borrowing an exorbitant amount of money from a bank and then paying it off until the rest of your life and then milking what you can in your twilight years and saying you made it. I mean, they think that's laughable, and it is laughable when you think about it. But what we were, what my, what maybe I think I'm even older than you, but our our generation taught us, and. And they come in and they do a stint and they do some amazing work for me. And then I try to get them to stay another week and pay them well. And they're like, oh, I'm doing this thing in Vietnam or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that the, where the talent is really dictating um, not only um, the, you know, the, 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 their timings and where they'll be and that sort of thing, but they, they want to do the work that equates to them getting some fulfillment and um, being able to really drive their personal agenda and purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was starting out, if you could get one of the big brands, FMCG or something like that, a brief on one of those things, you would take it and you would not say anything. And now you're having people come in and say, I want to do something, I want it to be around... Um, less plastic in the ocean or anything like that, you know, mm. and it's just really interesting and, I, and I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. Yeah. Like, you know, an entire generation of people who aren't worried about the material things in life, um, aren't bothered about owning a car or a house because they've been priced out anyway and are, are really this sort of um, um, experience generation um, who wants to make sure that everything they do amounts to something mm. um, and is making some sort of a positive impact? Um, and it's just I, everybody I see is that is that now they're not you can't you can't do hey do this thing because it's a cool brand and you'll meet a cool band. They don't even care anymore. Yeah, you kind of just want to make your life best like work that has purpose. Absolutely, it's kind of so dependent on our peers though. Everyone can see and hear everything you're doing. It's kind of like you have to actually come up with something or do something that has like a real grounding and it's inspirational because some of my friends kind of have gone down the route of like university and they've like a couple of them have finished now from this year and they just don't know what they're doing with themselves in a sense of where they're going with things and now they find themselves genuinely searching for that purpose and making things that they actually want to do it's kind of like you have this option now to be a lot more open with where you go with things and that, that gives you the freedom to actually do things that you like, I think. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, Steve, I don't know what you do with, with Google Creative Labs, I, I think we find ourselves at the moment, I find it hugely inspiring, the projects that you've done, the Space Lab and, and the Science Fair stuff, and it's all massively forward-thinking. And I think what you hit upon there about that shift now to the mindset 
of people coming up now where they're not so interested in, in all that stuff, the material work. Do you think that's part of the crux where we, we often see very forward thinking like the work, the work you're doing and the work you're doing at Nike and, and what's gone before? I feel, I feel like almost there's this chasm now that's opening up because it's a very different way of thinking that's happened, perhaps partly to do with the, the, the speed of technologies, yeah. advancement. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it almost feels like there's this divide at the moment we're at a formative point. I think I think technology is playing a massive role in it because it's enabling a lot more people to be part of it. So there's this level of accessibility, but it's also creating um, this incredible level of transparency. Mm-hmm. So you can actually see what's going on. You can track down who's doing what in terms of bad to environment, whatever. So I think um, I think it's an interesting time, um, and I think that. Um, uh, especially for younger people, um, you know, you you came in to talk to us about the Google Five program, yeah. right? And we have a program um, where we try to recruit some of the best young thinkers, uh, and not young necessarily by age. Um, young, I mean, at the beginning of their careers, so they haven't been too affected by stuff. Um, and and I think about again, and I don't. It's not a criticism of the world I grew up in, but. It was different when I when I started out in advertising many years ago. It was like attrition, like a war of attrition or something. Like you had to, it was it was like how much could you take before you dropped out? And if you didn't drop out, they'd give you a job, and then they would pay you really badly and give you the worst briefs, right? And so somebody in my organization had a great idea of get the fresh thinkers in. Create a program, don't treat them like interns, give them the biggest and the best briefs, pay them well, respect them, give them responsibility, give them autonomy. And what happens? And most of the work that you see whenever I show it in these talks um, was either created literally in partnership with my Google Fibers, or there was one or two of them at least in the team that created the work. And it's just interesting when you do these little things and you show that level of understanding and respect to the people that you're bringing in, the incredible things that they can achieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and I don't actually talk about it publicly that much because it's such a best-kept secret that I still can't believe that a lot of these other companies have got wise to and that they still hire people in and pay them very little um, and... and Give them, you know, throw a brief at them and say, give it to that team mm-hmm. over there. Something they might come back with something, you know. More likely than not, they won't come back with anything unless you help them get there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Completely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, did you? Is that something you felt um, when you came to the shift program? Was that autonomy and that respect something you you were afforded? Yeah, completely. Like you had this chance to voice your ideas off to your mentor, to each other as well, and get this kind of feedback that really helps you to build on your ideas a lot more mm. um, I feel like without having a shift I wouldn't have had that bravery to kind of push ideas that far and yeah I've always thought with everything I've created that I don't want to make something similar I don't I don't want to make something that someone else has made before it's kind of had the chance to be completely different from everything mm. and with today's day and age like and technology as well like you have a medium through everything. My little sister uses um, this app to make a story through messengers, so it looks like iMessage background because it fits into the medium that she's known her entire life. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like once you bring in that, that dynamic fresh thinking as well, then you're able to really learn a lot and take a lot from it as well, I think. How did that contrast to... How did you feel when, before you found Shift? How did, how did you feel... I mean, you obviously had entrepreneurial ideas, you had flow, you had creativity, but had, could, had you made sense of that before? Um, I think in senses I had. I'd been able to read the rewards because most of my creativity was get at being commercial and making money out of it. So if I at least broke even, then I was like, okay, it's worked. And yeah. Something, right? But it's very difficult to really gauge it when you do just passion projects where I find that you actually find the seeds of like the ideas, like the sentiment behind making things and what the sentiment behind the idea is to make it something bigger and grander. And it's hard because I'd done, um, just before shift, I think that summer was, um, we'd been doing the elections uh, and 
me and my friends had the idea to do a strong and stable election party, free party, social political art to kind of fuel people's minds and their opinions on who to vote for, and you get a free beer with your polling card so everyone could come in. And we couldn't really quantify that. We knew we were doing something and we had a decent turnout, but you can't really understand what you're doing to really gauge and change the way people are thinking about things mm-hmm. or attacking things. So when it came to actually working in the creative industry now, I kind of thought to myself, how do I do things different in quite a bigger machine? And it's still something I'm still asking myself, like how to change the way that we're making work. But I mean, I'm still early doors. Yeah. Trying to learn how so to how about work. since? What were the steps coming out of shift? Um... Out of shift? Um, I'm still just leaving it. I finish at night next week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess coming out of shift, I learned and made some great friends and mm. found a lot of people who were trying to be creative and do creative things. And more about myself as well, in terms of how to work with people more and build teams properly. And I think coming out of it now, I just kind of want to help kids more. I don't want to start a little co-creational network Mm -hmm. so that we can actually create work that is away from super big advertising background and put people into building their own portfolios together Mm -hmm. and different projects. and I don't think I would have had, I don't think I, or I definitely wouldn't have the balls to do anything like that without Shift, without actually at least taking the leap. Because at the point when I listened to a podcast last year, I was like in crazy, like I, I had depression, everything was really deep. And then I listened to it and I realised that my output and the things that I was creating had value somewhere and I could give it value. And that was the last night to enter into Shift. So I literally jumped Wow, okay. <laughs> I didn't well, know that big term. deck in like literally like an hour. Yeah. Put it up. But wow. I feel like okay. given the time and I've been actually listening to this properly and actually thinking that there was someone who would be willing to hear about my like, creativity and where I, I found my inspiration. It was mm. amazing. And now I just feel this kind of this gratification from it. Very millennial. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you, you have represented even what you said there, I think, of that raw ambition and energy that a lot of young people have, but I feel don't quite know where that is applied in the real world. It's that ongoing, you know, conundrum. Yeah. How do you feel that, Steve? I mean, in terms of, in ter- not just in terms of, well, in terms of shift, but also... We, we talked briefly earlier about, you know, whether it's going to smaller towns outside of London and yeah. those pockets of communities where this is happening, but actually it's very hard to find out where you can take it any further. Yeah, I think you, it's, it's that raw, I think you, you, that raw ambition, but that raw ambition may never manifest itself into anything if you aren't exposed to the right people or the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I was speaking to somebody at the festival and I was talking to them about my journey and then, and then I said, like, a lot of people, I accidentally got in here into this whole thing by doing this and doing that and meeting them. And they, and they said to me, that, you know what, I, that's just not acceptable, that you, you had to accidentally get here. And it's, it's something that weighs really heavy on my mind is, as I said, my upbringing was very different, very, very working class. I, knew no, I didn't even know, like, about design. I knew I, I, I would see things and I would like it, but I wouldn't even know why I liked it, Right. And, um, and as I said, my dad, laborer, um, focusing on sort of like paying a mortgage and that sort of stuff. So I'm growing up in this environment where in my 20s, I start learning about uh, graphic design and I start learning about um, creativity and I get a Mac, one of the early Macs, and I start learning that you can actually make a living doing these things. And, uh, and I look at my life now, and it's going to sound like I'm the worst, toughest dad in the world. But like, so I live in Brighton, in Hove, uh, between London and Hove. My kids go to a school down there, a good school. And then we launch a big VR thing that brings dinosaurs back to life. And I go in and the kid's dad, who's creative director, goes in and shows VR dinosaurs coming to life at the Science Museum from fossils. Um, And then all the kids in the room are like, oh my God, like you can get a job in VR. Oh my God, you can become a a film producer or a director of live action film or they, they have a, an understanding through the presentation I do which is called Stuff I Wish I Knew When I Was Growing Up that you can do all these things right but I keep thinking back to the young me right thinking if your dad isn't a creative director what happens mm. right and that's why the shift thing is interesting is, is if you can make the shift thing even bigger 
and scale it, um, um, get it to even younger kids. Uh, all these things actually we're talking about doing. <laughs> we're doing, I think you saw the Pitch Future stuff at the festival. Yeah. Um, that's when it becomes even more powerful. I think, um, like that person said to me, it's not acceptable that you accidentally got into this because whatever, you were sketching on a desk and somebody, yeah. uh, and like your thing, you know, your, the, 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 the image you drew and somebody said, that, that person's creative and if it wasn't for them, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, everybody should have the right opportunity and we should only be judging people on what we talk about, which is raw ability, raw talent and raw ability. Everything else should be equal. Yeah. Mm. And how do you go about doing that? And that's what we want to focus on. Yeah. And that's where it can become powerful. I think so. I, I was a little, I was a little sort of saddened after I covered Shift the first time because I, I received a little bit of backlash from a lecturer. And I, I do a lot of talks at unis, and I love that, and I love the university model. I did it myself. It was, it was imperative in my own journey. And I think he felt that I was championing shift going, yeah, you know, this is the, this is the new thing. But I really think I can really see the two models working in conjunction where one yeah. feeds the other. In. Like any healthy competition, it encourages, let's say, a uni to, to, you know, to work harder. And I don't know, I just think there are so many diverse, different personalities, different characters, and the university is not for everyone, nor would shift be for everyone. Yeah. I really feel like that, that model, though, can, fill up, can help to what you've just said, Steve, about... You know, it shouldn't have to be an accident. I hope that yeah. there's some way of, of expanding and rolling and it's this not out. Either, and I agree with you, it's not an either-or proposition. I think we need to continue to support the universities and the colleges producing some of the most creative minds. We need to continue to reinforce the um, impact that it makes on culture, on economy, yeah. right? Um, but I also think, I, I, I'm not sure, but like... If, you know, I find myself in a shift-like situation if I was growing up, when I was growing up, if shift was around, I wanted to go to university. Yeah. I couldn't afford to go to the university I wanted to go to. I, I couldn't afford to go to the schools in this country, actually, that I had applied for because of the fees involved, and my parents couldn't pay them. And that's why shift You know what I mean? It wasn't a, oh, university's not for me. It was like, shit, i got to figure out a new way to do yeah, this. Absolutely. So it's a weird one, because I, I want my kids to go to university. If they don't want to go to university, then that's fine. I want them to go to university, but by the same token, for the kids out there that can't go to the universities... I mean, we have to do something, don't we? So it's not a... I, I don't... Like, they're not mutually exclusive to me. I think uni really does strain you. Like, there's been so much in the news today, um, recently about um, mental health not being addressed in uni properly, and it really does challenge you. Mm-hmm. But as, outside of that, I think it also quantifies what you're able to do in your ability. Making it through uni is so amazing, and you have your degree at the end, but it just quantified that you can put yourself into that process and through that process for three years. I feel like your your creativity or whatever it is that you choose to do can be used in a, like or manifested in a different way, and it's I think it's more about the pathways, like you were saying, understanding what the different jobs are that are there, and knowing that you don't have to go straight through that narrow path. Yeah, it's very boxed in that you have to go to uni and you have to go to college to get to these points. Say so go to college, like college is amazing, but you don't necessarily have to be a person who wants to go to uni. And, I ha- and go through uni to get anywhere in life. It was kind of an accident that I came across this podcast mm-hmm. so my friend at uni sent it to me. But I think that had I not found this podcast, I could have been lost. And I feel like I do bring something to the table when I work in the industry. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say that like it's it's about increasing the pathways like Shift, like the Google Five, and finding a way to teach kids younger, like when you're going into the schools, that there are these different jobs and things that you can approach. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crucial. Yeah. Otherwise, there's so many people lost in in system, like yeah. having to wait on Instagram to like get them looking yeah. for creative crafts and stuff. It's like yeah. It's, yeah. Well, I think we've got exciting times ahead, and let's hope to see this continue growing. Um, awesome. The way it is, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I think we've just about covered it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's just pleasure. <laughs> cool. Cool. Nice one. Thank you. Is Please. that all right? Thank you so much to Nate and Steve for taking the time to do that and thank you for DNAD to making it possible. I'm interested to hear in your thoughts on, on what you make of Shift and how you see that working in conjunction with the traditional education model. Uh, 
If you want to apply, head over to the website, of course, now. Head over and check out dandad.org. And check out the shift section and go and get in your applications if it's something that's of interest for you. Limited places, but it's a fantastic experience. And if you're someone who hasn't been to uni and you're feeling a little lost out there, but you've got ideas, you've got uh, practical skills that you want to put into place and refine them, then it really is something that can be quite life-changing, as Nate just verified. So thank you again to those guys for the time. Uh, we've got an awesome bunch of episodes coming up, as ever. Uh, lots coming up. Clara Mulligan, uh, visual director of Anomaly, who is a tour de force. Fantastic talent. We've got Lauren Kelly from Jura discussing behaviour design, which is a really interesting psychology angle um, that can help you improve uh, the way you behave and your creative practice and making the most of that. So it's all going on. Get us your thoughts at Arrest on the Mix on the Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. If you want to join the conversation, please do and tell us your own thoughts, your own experiences. Um, what's your own educational experience and what did it do for you? Uh, what would you change about that? I'm keen to hear those thoughts. Um, cheers to the sponsors. Association of Illustrators, heartinternet.co.uk illustrationweb.com and Real Junk Food Manchester so cheers for tuning in guys thank you for listening it really does mean a lot please do get a little review out there on the Apple Podcasts platform and keep those thoughts coming I'll catch you all very very soon nice one guys thank you very much take care (laughs) 